A story is told about a Viking king who lived hundreds of years ago. This Viking king was the most just, most loving king that this kingdom had ever had. One day, the Viking king was sitting on his throne and in ran one of the men who helped guard the royal treasury. And he said to the king, 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 the royal treasury has been robbed. This was a big deal because the kingdom was supported by the royal treasury and so the robbing affected everyone else. The wise men gathered around the king and they said to the king, we believe that this must be punished and so that everyone knows they cannot take from the royal treasury and so we suggest that the king let the kingdom know that whoever it is that's stolen from the treasury must be whipped ten times. The king, understanding that he needed to punish those who did wrong, he was just, said good and he announced to the kingdom the one who has stolen from the treasury must be whipped ten times. Two days later, the king was sitting on his throne. And what do you think happened? In runs a man who helped guard the royal treasury. And he said, O king, O king, the royal treasury has been robbed. The wise men gathered around the king and they said, Well, maybe the punishment was not severe enough to scare off a potential criminal. We believe you should say... 20 lashes to whoever stole from the royal treasury. So the Viking king in his justice said, we need to protect the resources of the country. Whoever has stolen must receive 20 lashes. Two days later, the Viking king's in the throne room. Kids, y'all wanna help me? What do you think's gonna happen? In runs who? I'm here, y'all say it underneath before I interrupted. Yes. In runs one of the people guarding the royal treasury and said, O king, O king, the royal treasury has been robbed, yes, stolen from. Wise men gathered around the king. They said, O king, we believe that you need to raise the penalty so that people understand that this cannot happen. It's going to hurt everyone in the kingdom. We believe you should raise the penalty to 40 lashes with the whip, which at that point in time was considered a penalty similar to a death penalty, 40 lashes with the whip. The king announced to the kingdom, yes, 40 lashes. Two days later, he's sitting in the throne room In runs his guard, O king, O king, someone has robbed again from the royal treasury. And this time, the criminal was caught the king said, who was it? They said, oh king, oh king, the criminal is your mom. The wise men gathered around the king and this time there was a lot of disagreement. <laughs> oh king, oh king, you're just. You've always been just and enforced the law. You must give 40 lashes to the criminal, your mother. Others who were around the king said, O king, O king, you're loving, and we know you love your mother. 
we cannot force you to do this to your mom. The king retreated to his bedroom and he said, tomorrow I'll give my ruling. He came out of his bedroom the next day and he announced to the Viking kingdom, he said, because the law was in place and I must punish those who do wrong, we're gonna tie my mom to the pole and administer lashes. So everyone was shocked, but understood at the same time. The king had to be just, but how could he do this to his mom? So they tied her to a pole in front of everyone. The king asked the guard to take his position and the guard took his position. And then the king stood up, took off his crown and he placed it on the throne. And he walked up behind his mother who was tied to the pole. He put his arms underneath her arms and he said, guard, administer 40 lashes. The guard said, oh king, I cannot do that because if I try to whip your mom, I'm going to actually hit you instead because you're in the way. And he said, I know, I'm here on purpose. Begin to administer the lashes. And the kingdom watched as the Viking king was whipped 40 times in place of his mom. Now that story was told to me as if it was a true story. I got online and you can do that later, don't do it right now. And there are a lot of versions of that story. It is, it is an oral tradition story of a Viking king, almost as if maybe at some time, at some point in the history, there's been a king like that. If you're here today, I wanna to talk to two groups first, if for you it's just weird when we sing about this person named Jesus and you've never really understood what's the big deal about Jesus, I'm, I want you to hear about the king that Christians worship. But the second group is the, the group I wanna focus on most today on this groundbreaking Sunday for us as a church. I wanna remind our church that it's never been and it never will be about us, that we have a king who has taken our place. If you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to open it to Luke chapter 23. As we approach Easter Sunday, we are listening to Jesus from the cross give his seven cries. Last week, we talked about the fact that he has already suffered severely before he even ends up on the cross, the word that we have in our English language for the deepest level of pain, excruciating, actually comes from the cross. But that's not the only word we get from the cross. Do you know, for Christians, really, it's all about Jesus. In fact, as you hear the story of the Viking king, and I were to ask you, what's that story about? Very few of you would say, it's about this mom, right? It's about a loving and just king. Another word in our English language that comes from the cross is crucial. This is the defining, defining moment we believe in the history of the world. 
stand in order to honor God's word and I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. The him there is Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide up his garments, and people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'll let you just continue to stand, but I'm, I'm inviting you to stand in honor as we stood in honor of God's word before your king. And I would ask you to just pray this, pray if, if you don't even believe in God or know he's there, understand about Jesus, pray, pray that you would hear why we make such a big deal of our king. Why do Christians talk about Jesus like this? You say, God, if you're there, help me understand that. And if you're part of our church family, ask God to remind you today, it's not about you, that it's about Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Three points. Good Baptist sermon, right? (laughs) And it's even alliteration today. Guilt, grace, and glory. I'm going to show you all three around the second cry from the cross. First, guilt. When I talk to religious people, and sometimes even when I talk to people who claim the name Christian and ask, if you died today, do you know where you would go? So often I hear people tell their story, meaning I will hear them say something like, I think I would go to heaven. I think because I'm a good person. Three people died on Calvary the day Jesus died. 
one in sin, one for sin, one forgiven. The one forgiven understood it was not about him. In fact, if it was, the story would be all about guilt. Go with me to verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Verse 40, but we know that this criminal from Mark and Matthew's account was also at one point on the cross mocking Jesus, but something in him changed. And he says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. The Bible tells us if you want to make the story about us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've disobeyed the king. You have stolen, and so have I, from his treasury. If you want a story that's really about the mom, it's not a good story. I've sinned, and you've sinned. Uh, this last week, our students, we had a big group of students that were not just doing the Easter fast through this season, but they did a 30-hour fast. We call 30-hour famine and served during that time. Wednesday night, I was around the students for just 30, 40 minutes, not a long time. I get home and I look in the mirror. I don't know if this ever happens to you. I had teeth with food all stuck in it in front. And you, you, all know, you get home and you're like, oh gosh, everybody was looking at that? Add to it that everyone was looking at that, that was fasting looking at their pasture with all this food stuck in his teeth. And that was not sin. That was just a, but you know, if, if we could just play what went on in my brain over the last week, you wouldn't want to listen to my sermon. The same is true for all of us, right? All, guilt, if you want to make it about us, but grace is coming. Thank goodness it's not about us. Let's move to grace. When, when I talk to people that think it's about them, then often when they talk about the potential of being with God forever, they, they, they talk about how they're going to fix it. Uh, maybe you grew up in a different denominational background, I need to go through confirmation. Maybe if you, you grew up in a Baptist background, I need to get baptized. Maybe if you grew up in this church, maybe you think the way I'm going to make it right with God is I'm going to make disciples who live in love like Jesus. The person who's going to hear from Jesus that he is with him in heaven is a criminal who repents on the cross and believes. He can do nothing to earn God's favor. And grace, undeserved favor, saves him. How did it happen? What changed in him? Maybe it was the fact that he's hanging on the cross mocking this man and he hears this man cry out father forgive them and he looks over at this man and he sees a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins pouring down from the cross as the people around the cross say if you're the Christ save yourself Christ the Messiah and he thinks back to all the promises of a coming king and a suffering servant 
thinking about all the sacrifice that had to be made to cover sin. And he sees the sign above him that says, the king of the Jews. And it, it happens in him. He, he repents. He turns. Literally, the word means that there's an inner turning from mocking and ridiculing Jesus to reaching out to Jesus. He can't physically. He can do nothing physically. But internally... Again, verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What? Did you ever learn to say a prayer to save you growing up? Like that's another thing that we're good at as Baptists. You need to make sure you say the prayer. Get the words right, right? I was never taught that one. I don't think he got necessarily maybe all the words right, but something happened, right? He was saved. The Bible tells us it's for by grace you can be saved and I'm saved through faith. It's not of ourself, it's a gift from God not of works, lest any man should boast. We have no glory in the story. The story for a Christian is not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. Now that verse goes on to say that we're his workmanship created in Christ. Again, it becomes about him for his glory. We we don't give to multiply to get into heaven, right? Maybe I shouldn't say that out loud. I should pass the plate before I say that, right? That it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And when Jesus changes us from the inside out, it changes everything. Glory. Glory. Let's talk glory for just a second. I want to compare the two criminals, and I know I'm messing up the guys upstairs because as I teach most weeks I get the slides out of order but here we go verse 39 there's two criminals one criminal if Luke didn't give the commentary one criminal would actually kind of look like he's about to get saved but Luke said he was railing at Jesus verse 39 one of the criminals who was hanged there railed at him saying are you not the Christ Save yourself and us. Actually, if you want to get more in line with words that I was taught to say in the salvation process, this even sounds a little closer. Save me, not remember me. But there's a difference. One is more focused on the here and now, wanting his circumstances to change. And I think some people come to Jesus that way. Uh, Actually, I'll say it this way. Some people want a genie, not Jesus. And it's different. This man wants him to take him off the cross. The other one, the one who is saved and told, you will be with me in paradise, in glory. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not about Jesus change my circumstance and I'll I'll say yes to going to church how about that no Jesus thank you for what you're doing 
remember me in eternity. You see the difference? And Jesus turns to him and he said to him, truly I say to you, those words 76 times in our Bible, truly I say to you, every time comes from Jesus. And every time he says that it's followed by a profound statement. Jesus looking at a man who's only done evil, like he's a criminal, deserving a graphic torture death, he turns to this criminal and he says, truly I say to you, today you might be able to get into heaven. Is that what he says? You could, if everything just lines up right and you say these words perfect, no, no, is that what he says? No, today you will be with me. Again, one was after a genie, the other one was after Jesus. You will be with me. Jesus, the night before, John tells us, was praying to God the Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You will be with me in paradise. The word paradise uh, is actually a word for garden. The Bible begins and ends in a garden. God created the world perfect apart from sin. If you want to make it about us, you know what we did? We messed it up. Uh, guys, if you want to blame Eve, you need to look more into the story. I mean, it's all of our fault. In the end, Jesus makes it all right again. The tree of life again in heaven in a garden for you and I, paradise. It's all about him. Church family, it's not about us. It's never been, I love that we have a 151 year history at our church of a church that makes it about Jesus. It's never been about us. When people ask me about our church, I say, I love our church. I genuinely love our church. I love what I get to do. I, I love that I get to be part of this body. But the reason I do is because this church is about Jesus, not us. And as we build, I'm gonna have an ask for you. As we build and people ask you about what is going on over there at First McKinney, that you would not talk about, oh, guess what, we're gonna have a, a, a LED wall <laughs> you talk about Jesus as we build and people see and hear you or maybe understand that something's happening behind us that you would even know that what we're doing is not trying to make us more comfortable we're, we're trying to create an environment where others will hear the good news of a king that was greater than some Viking king that saved his mom a king that laid down his life for criminals that were his enemies like me and you and those that are in our neighborhood and launch from that place students and leaders that will go around the world to tell the story of Jesus. So my ask of you, the, the, the big apply is through this season, will you with me remember? It's never been about us. It will never be about us. It's about Jesus, that we have a story of a great king who laid down his life for you and me. There's a real kingdom, there's a real king. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the son of God. In his love 
And by his grace, he came and he lived a perfect life. He died in our place. He, he wrapped his arms in between you and I and the punishment we deserve. He died in our place. He rose again and he's coming back. He's coming back. And I'm praying that through Multiply, there are going to be more people than we could ever imagine that are going to get to be experiencing glory with us because the story is about him, right? What do we get to do? We get to repent like the criminal on the cross, believe and follow Jesus. We're alive. We get to, we get to live for him. That's what we get to do. There's a man. I'll show you a picture. You're going to think, really? Yep. Uh, he did not experience the ministry of the rock. He's actually even older than the rock, believe it or not. This guy is William Cooper. William Cooper had an incredibly difficult life. His mom, tied to our first story, died when he was six years old. Struggled with anxiety, depression, his young adult life. He went to law school and then he couldn't get a job. He struggled with the sin that he knew he was facing. And his story, his story was not a good one. He met a guy by the name of John Newton who would focus on another story. Anyone know who John Newton is? He wrote a song, some of you, yeah, Raising Hands, song that y'all might know called Amazing Grace. John Newton impacted this guy's life. And at one point, William Cooper was reading the prophecy of the coming king that would take his place in Zechariah chapter 13. He read these words, On that day a fountain shall be opened from the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And he said, that, that fountain is the blood of Jesus. And he wrote a song that you and I know that when it came out, a lot of people thought it was too graphic. They wanted to change the story. They actually tried to change the words and take blood out of the song. But it didn't work. Everyone went back to what Jesus had done. And I want to invite you with me to remember that this is all about him as we sing these words again together. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And the sinners plunged beneath that flood all the guilty stains, lose all the guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all the Dying feet rejoice to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he washed all my sins away. Why 
words, I'm reminded that glory can point to two things. One, eternity that you have prepared for us, your kingdom in heaven that we get to be part of, paradise that Jesus referred to, glory. Glory can also refer to who gets the credit. And God, I pray that we would use this season to point it all to you. Help us, God, to do that for your glory. It's your story. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.